I want to tell the story about even kind of how this came about. Uh, one of the things that I love about what God is doing in our church uh, is that people within our church uh, were serving in Rick- Vickery, which, as you know, is a large population of refugees less than a mile away this way. Uh, and as they were serving, they got to know Razia and I mean, and they began to and, and introduced our church to them, introduced small groups. Uh, they've actually been to a few different small groups. And so what I, what I love about that story is it really is just this display of what God has called us to do what God has called White Rock to do, to declare and to demonstrate the gospel in White Rock for White Rock. Uh, And so I I love this is just a continuation of that, the the opportunity to support uh, Razia and her family as she primarily works with uh, women and children and from the Afghan community and as he plants a church. Uh, And and honestly, I, I love all that God's doing in our church. Uh, it's really remarkable. Uh, sometimes I get to hear things that maybe not everyone gets to hear, but not only on, on outward, not only the mission that God is calling us to uh, in White Rock for White Rock, but also uh, the discipleship that's happening uh, with men and women in groups, the discipleship that's happening with our students in discipleship groups, as well as what's happening with our kids. I, I am so encouraged by all that God is doing here. He is accomplishing his redemptive purposes here, and it is it is such a joy to see and to watch. And I think about what God is doing here. It reminds me a little bit of what we've been talking about these last number of weeks, uh, the book of Nehemiah, where God called Nehemiah to very, something very specific, to accomplish and to fulfill the redemptive purposes of God by going back to Jerusalem and building up the city. And we think about Nehemiah as a book about building up a wall, but it's so much more than that. It's about building up the people of God for the flourishing of the people of God, that they might be the people of God and the city of God on mission for the other nations around them. And so that's what Nehemiah came to do. And as we've been walking through this book for the last number of weeks, as I said last week, it's been, it's been an odd guide for us in this weird season that we're in as a church, in this transition season. And yet it's been such a good guide to be able to see what God was doing through Nehemiah, what God was doing in the people of God. But one of the things that we've seen is that there has been opposition at every turn. There's been opposition at every turn along the way. And today what we're going to look at it is, is these distractions and these oppositions that threatened to hinder Nehemiah's mission of finishing the wall. And for us, we may, as we're following Jesus, the recognition is that there's oppositions and there's distractions all the time that come our way, that, that hinder us, that keep us from, from following Jesus. Those could be physical things or health issues. They could be uh, challenges for, uh, from the outside, challenges from the inside. Lots of things that hinder us from following Jesus. And they become distractions and oppositions. But also for us as a church body, as we move forward in, in a time of transition, I, I believe uniquely there are oppositions and distractions that could threaten the mission that God has called us to. It is a good mission. It is a good thing that God has called us to. And I think in this time, we have to be extra careful and vigilant about those oppositions and those distractions. And so the first distraction we saw was in the reading. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter five, as, as you heard when Ryan read, um, here, here he is, he's leading this vision of building the wall. Here he is, he's leading this vision of trying to allow the people of God to flourish. And it comes to his attention that here, as he's trying to build up people, the people are devouring each other. And here's what's happening. There's a famine in the land. And in the midst of this famine, people are starving. So they're having to sell everything they own just to feed their family. They're also having to mortgage their their land and what they own. And not only that, they are actually having to sell their own kids into slavery 
in order to pay back their debts. And there were some people among the people of God who were exploiting this famine and saying, we can make more money from this. And they were exacting interest on them and they were charging more money. And they were actually, instead of caring for the people of God, they were actually exploiting them. And so here Nehemiah is trying to build up the people of God in the city of God for the mission of God. And what is happening? The people are destroying themselves. They're not taking care of one another. In some ways, it doesn't matter if there's a wall around the city if they're devouring one another. Now, in the law, there, were, uh, oper- there, uh, there was um, guidelines on how you handled these kinds of things, how you handled debt, how you handled repayment of debt, all those kinds of things. And the, the sense within the law was kindness and generosity. Why? Because they're the people of God, and they represent a God who is kind and generous, who is abounding in loving kindness. And so in the midst of this, what they're doing is they're forgetting the law, and they're saying, we're going to make money on this deal. In the midst of the famine, we're going to be rich while our very own neighbors and people of God are destroying and selling their own kids into slavery. And so when he sees this, he, he speaks quickly and he is very truthful about what's happening here. I want to look back at chapter five, verse nine. I'm going to walk through it slowly. Look what he says. He says, the thing that you are doing is not good. He confronts them with the truth. The reality of what's happening here is, has every opportunity to devour the people of God. He says, what you're doing is not good. He says, ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? So not only is this a sin against the people, but it's a sin against God. Because again, what was God's, the point of God's law in this realm was kindness and generosity. The God who is the one who restores the broken, who lifts up the oppressed, who cares for the poor. This God who they're supposed to represent, all of a sudden they are not only not caring, but they're exploiting the people of God. And this community, he says, cannot flourish unless you live with the same characteristics that God himself has and has called the people of God to be. And then there's this little line. He says, to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. Now we've talked a lot about this in this book in particular. The people of God were designed, as God said to Abraham, to be blessed, to receive the blessing of God in order to be a blessing to all nations. So looked at a few weeks ago, they are called to be kingdom of priests. So in the middle of the ancient world, this little nation, Israel, was supposed to be this and live in such a way that all the nations around them would go, there's something about them. There's something about their God that I want to worship that God. That's how it was supposed to be. The people of God and the city of God and the mission of God. But what does he say here? The people outside are taunting them. They're like, look at this people. I mean, they have like a half-baked wall. They don't even have homes. They have a temple, but they don't seem to really worship that God. And not only that, they're exploiting one another. They're devouring one another. I want nothing to do with this people. And then other nations are taunting them. And what is Nehemiah saying here? He's saying, they're missing it. They're missing the point of being the people of God that is on a mission. Because in the way they're treating each other, they're actually killing the mission that God has for them. And so Nehemiah deals with this swiftly. He goes on, look at verse 11. 
He says, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and the oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And so Nehemiah, he takes very swift action here. Not only does he recognize there, there's an opportunity here to, uh, to deal quickly with what's happening, but he recognizes he needs to set up leadership and structure and accountability to make sure that the people of God are caring for each other. Now, not only that, he, the chapter goes on, we're not going to look at it, but Nehemiah actually himself was extremely generous. He was actually not receiving what the king would give him for his own family, for his own family and actually the 150 people he was feeding every day so as to help other people in the community. And so Nehemiah was not only setting up a leadership and structure, but he was also living it out, if you will, sort of practicing what he preached. Now, perhaps nothing hinders or obstructs the, the purposes of God for a community than lack of kindness and generosity. And that's what's happening. And that's why he deals so swiftly with it. Can you imagine the division that would have happened? I mean, people are like, why are we building a wall? We're helping to sell our kids to slavery so that we can actually pay our debts back. Why would we even care about this city, this town, this, this mission of God? And so he deals with it swiftly. And there's something I think we need to see here, this opposition, this distraction, is that for some of us, it's very important that we recognize care for one another is essential. And for some of us, you may have been someone who has been hurt by the people of God. I've talked to countless ones of you who are saying, man, the way the people of God treated me, it, it hurt me. And to even, for some of you, even make your way in here over the last years has been a step of faith to be reminded that it's not how it's supposed to be. That the people of God are always called to outdo one another in showing honor. They're always called to let love be genuine, to hate what is evil and to hold fast to what is good. And so for us as individuals, this may be a reality for us. There's just been this hurt, but the reality is what we're called to be as the people of God is ones who love each other and care for each other. And I think about for us as a church in a, in a time of transition, as we're walking through this, I, I want to warn us to keep vigilant about this, to not let division take root, to be diligent in how we care for one another, have kindness and compassion for one another, to generously give of ourselves and our resources uh, for the flourishing of the community. We can do all the mission outside, but if we're not caring for each other, we're missing the point. And so this is essential, I think, in what we are walking through as a transition. But I do want to encourage this. Over the last 11 years, uh, I have been blown away by our church in this regard. I will tell people all the time, if people say, tell me about your church, what are your strengths? The first thing I will always say about our church is our best strength is the way we love each other. I have countless stories of things I had no part of, we had, staff had no part of, elders had no part of, where God just called someone to say, I'm gonna come alongside and take care of this person. I'm gonna give generously. I'm gonna pray uh, you know, consistently for people in challenging times. This is one of our strengths. And so my encouragement to us as a church is that we live out this strength. 
of caring for each other, of loving for each other, making sacrifices for one another, it, no matter what people are going through, that, we're, that we don't devour each other. Instead, we care and live out the community that God has already created here, but to live out that strength as a church. We will flourish as the people of God as we take care of one another and as we don't allow challenging times to be an opportunity for the enemy. The first opposition was from the inside. It was for the, the idea that people were exploiting each other. They were missing the point of what it meant to be the people of God. The second opposition that we're going to see here in chapter 6 is from the outside. That distraction and opposition from the outside. Now, we've already seen this some in Nehemiah, but I want to look at this one in particular. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah, remember them? They're always the ones who just are stirring up trouble. Uh, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshep sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hekaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Now they're saying, hey, come, let's meet up. Let's get together. We, we should talk business. Let's talk about what you're doing or how things are going. And maybe we can partner. They have this kind of devious way about them. But Nehemiah has discernment here. He knows the tactic of this opposition. The tactic is, it's, uh, it is deception. Deception, simply put, is, is disguising something when it's actually something else. And this is one of the most common tactics of the enemy because he's the father of, the lies, of, of lies. And so the, the idea of deception is looking one way, but actually doing something else. And, and what I want to see as we walk through just these, these oppositions from the outside, there's some very clear tactics here that are very good for us to be aware of, both as individuals and also as a church. And the first one is deception. It's disguising one thing for actually something else. But Nehemiah prayerfully discerns what it's all about. And four times they say, come, come, let's have a meeting. And four times he says, no, we're not going to meet because I know what you're actually doing. You intend to show, Nehemiah says, himself harm. And then we get another tactic. Jump down with me to verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Now, remember, Nehemiah was sent by Artaxerxes, who is the king. And so what is the, what's happening here is they're making up stories. This is another tactic the enemy often does. It sort of fills in the narrative, takes a story and says, oh, it must be about this. It must be happening. Here's what really must be happening is that Nehemiah wants to be king over Israel and rebel against Persia. And what does he say? Look at verse eight. Again, Nehemiah discerns. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. He calls it what it is. He says, you're inventing stories out of your own mind. Now, this tends to happen when things get unstable or unknown. And, and some of us have, have had stories made up about us that have just been carried forth. Others of us, we have that temptation. We're kind of like, oh, I really like the juicy story. Tell me what it is. Maybe I'll fill in the narrative. And we have that temptation to sort of fill in the story about what's really happening. And in the midst of a church uh, transition, Churches are notorious for this, uh, notorious for filling in the story, filling in the rest of the narrative. And again, I, this is a good warning for us 
to make sure that we're not making up stories in our own mind that will distract us from what God has called us to do. And Nehemiah calls it what it is. He, he says, that's not true. Here's what's actually happening. And for us, before the story and narrative gets filled in, seek the truth. Find out what's actually happening. And so we have, we've had two tactics, deception, and then filling the stories or, or inventing in their own mind. Look at verse nine. For they all, he says, wanted to frighten us, thinking, notice what fear does, their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands, he prays. Now, this is this third tactic, which is the tactic of fear. And it is the tactic, one of the tactics of the enemy as well, because in many ways, fear is the kind of thing that causes us to stop. When we are afraid, we go, oh, maybe, maybe we just need to stop. You're right. That's what they hope will happen. They'll drop from the work and it will not be done. They'll stop finishing the wall. They will they'll stop the work that is there. And so fear is this, it was one of the quickest ways to cause people to quit. We're afraid, we're like, oh, maybe this isn't something God is, is doing. Maybe, maybe this isn't the mission that God called us to as a church. And so we have lies, we have making up stories, we have fear. And then <clears throat> probably one of the most distracting and devious of opposition is what happens next, which is, it's kind of this religious opposition. Look at verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now, this sounds, sounds great. Come, let's, let's meet together in the house of God. I mean, who else would protect you? This is the presence of God. God is our refuge. You know, let's come together and, and we'll meet together and we'll close the doors because they're coming to kill you and you need to be protected. But what's the problem? It has this religious tone to it, but going into the temple is a massive violation of the law. Nehemiah knows this. They're trying to, they're trying to entice him with this sort of language. Like, I bet God would want you to come into the temple to be protected. And look what he says as he goes on, verse 11. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood. Look, here it is again, his discernment. I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now, he says, I'm not allowed to go in the temple. You know that. That's a sin against the word, against the law. And he says, if I do that, I will be disobeying and likely will die. And he calls it what it is. He says, these people are trying to get me to be out of fear, to fall into sin. So then they can be like, hey, look, Nehemiah fell apart. You can't follow him anymore. Don't build the wall. Again, Nehemiah has such discernment here for this opposition. Discernment for the deception, discernment for the stories that were made up in their mind, discernment for the fear, and even discernment for this religious opposition that sounds right, but is clearly not. There's an important distinction he says. He says, I understand and I saw that God had not sent him. What a discernment here. Because it sure does sound good. It's this, oh, I've got this, this word for you. But religious opposition or false prophets, how do, how do we discern when it sounds really good, it kind of has all the religious language around it. How, how do we discern it if it's from God or not? Well, 
one of the ways you see right here, in fact, you see this all the way through the Old Testament with false prophets. You even see this with Satan when he's tempting Jesus. So often, false prophets or religious opposition, it kind of takes this very self-preserving or self-indulgent tone. God would not want you to do that. God will protect you. It's this kind of self-preserving, self-indulgent tone that again, it's wrapped up in all this spiritual language. But he says, I knew that God did not send him to me. Again, we have to be diligent to discern what God is saying and what he's doing. Nehemiah quickly discerned and he dealt with these distractions and these oppositions. Now, all of these distractions and opposition, they come our way all the time as individuals. We have these thoughts, we have people, things that people have said or, or this, the deception or the, the stories that are being made up or the fear or sort of the religious opposition. They all come our way. And the, the goal in that is to try to distract us or to threaten us from following Jesus to continue forward. And when they come, we, we prayerfully discern and we deal truthfully with them like Nehemiah did. And I think again, for us as a church, we have to, as we continue forward, to discern, to prayerfully say, okay, what is happening here? What is this opposition? What is this? Is there a story being filled in that's not true? Is there something that people are saying that sounds kind of, it sounds good, but it's really not from the Lord? Now, there's one other thing I want us to see here. And um, when Sam Ballot and Tobiah kept over and over again asking Nehemiah to meet with him, I love his response. Look with me, chapter six, verse three. He says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent me to, they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. Now we may read that and go, oh, Nehemiah, you can't be bothered because you're doing a great work, right? But it's true. He's doing a great work. And he knows it's what God has called him to do. That God has called him to build up the flourishing of the people of God, to build a wall around. He's so focused on God's redemptive purposes. Therefore, he cannot be distracted by these guys who want to stop it. He says, I'm not going to stop. I'm just focused on what God has called me to do. This is a great word for us, again, as individuals, that we're so focused on following Jesus we're so focused on, on making disciples. We're so focused on trusting him that, that all these oppositions and distractions, they roll off because we have our eyes focused on him. What are we focusing on? What are we busy with? For Nehemiah, he was busy with God's redemptive purposes. So I, I can't be bothered with these oppositions. But it's also, again, a, another really good thing, I think, for us as a church in transition. God has called White Rock to do a significant ministry, to make disciples of all ages as we have here in our church. Praise the Lord for that. To, to declare and demonstrate the gospel in White Rock for White Rock. This is a very significant ministry that God's called us to do. And in, the midst of, in the midst of transition, distraction and opposition will come. But if we're like, we're just so focused on what God has called us to do as a church that, oh, I don't know, they just kind of roll off. That's what Nehemiah was doing. And I love this. There's two resolves Nehemiah has here. One, every time there's opposition or distraction, he deals quickly and he discerns prayerfully what's happening in each case. I don't want us to miss that. He deals quickly and he discerns prayerfully what's happening. And the second thing is, simply put, he doesn't stop. 
He doesn't stop the work of God. He keeps participating in the mission of God. Why? Because it is a great work. It is the work that God has always called his people to be about. He discerned the deception. He discerned the stories they were making up. He discerned the fear. He discerned that even the religious opposition was not from God. And my prayer for White Rock in these coming days is that we won't let anything distract us or oppose the work that God has called us to do here. When things come up, we're quick about it. We, we deal with it. We work out the, those things in community, especially if there's something within the community and how we care for each other. We need to care for each other, keep short accounts, and serve one another and love one another. We want to be quick to tell the truth or ask questions when deception is at foot or stories are being made up. We want to discern biblical truth when language that sure does sound religious is being propagated, but is actually not from God. And lastly, I, I want to ask something of you, each of you. I want you to notice this opposition is very personal. It's against Nehemiah. That's a little different than chapter four. This is very personal. They intend to do him harm. They want to cause him to sin. And we're even told they want to kill him. And often it's the leaders who have a target on their back. So I want to ask you to diligently pray for our elders and our staff and our leaders. Tax will come. Uh, Opposition will come. Opportunities to be distracted will come. Fear will creep in. Lies will try to take root. Stories will be told. But we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray they will be upheld. That God would protect them. That God would use them to lead our church in this mission and vision that God has for us. Now, I could not be more confident in our elders and our staff and our leadership. We've always been a plurality of leadership. That's always how we've run as a church. That doesn't change now. And this group of people is, as you know, you know them all. They've all been here a long time. God has been so faithful to us in that. But I want to ask you to pray for them. Just like I think Nehemiah needed that prayer as he had the target on his back, these leaders will as well. And so I want you to ask ask for you to pray for our elders, our staff, our deacons, whoever leads your group, your men's discipleship group, your women's group, whoever leads you uh, in any context, um, pray for them by name diligently, that we can continue to focus on the mission that God has given White Rock Fellowship, to make disciples of all ages, and to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus in White Rock for White Rock. Let's pray. Father, I... I thank you for this story of Nehemiah and the great work he was called to do. And I thank you for the great work that White Rock Fellowship is called to do. I thank you that we have been called by you to be the people of God in this city for the mission of God. And Lord, I pray... um, for each of us as individuals, maybe one or, or two of these oppositions and distractions maybe, maybe hit a chord for us. They're things that are keeping us from following you. Uh, they're hindering us from making discipleship a priority. Or may we, may we see those like Nehemiah did for what they really are. They're just opposition and distractions. 
May we discern that and step away from those and repent and come back to following you and giving our life to you. And then I pray for our church, Lord, that in the same way as this great work that you've called us to do, that we would stay faithful to it in the midst of oppositions and distractions. And I pray specifically for our elders, Scott, Clayton, Nathan, Nick, and John. And I pray for our staff, Hannah, Kyle, Michelle, Courtney, Jenna, and Hayden. For our deacons, Rebecca, Drew, Kenny, Sybil, Carol, Melissa. Lord, I pray for all of our group leaders, all of our women's leaders, all of our men's leaders, all of the leaders who lead in high school and middle school, all of the leaders who lead within children's ministry and discipling kids and teaching the gospel to kids. Lord, I pray for our leadership, that you would give great discernment and wisdom as you already have in so many ways, that we might continue to be the body that has as its strength our love for one another and that has as our strength a a desire not to get bogged down with side agendas or other things, but just focuses on you. And I pray for endurance for our church in that. Lord, I thank you for our Savior, that as we now prepare our hearts for communion, we are reminded that it is only because of what he did for us that we are now called to be the people of God. He, he created that by his life and his death and his resurrection. He died in our place so that we could be the people of God who could then be called to do this great work that you've called us to. And so Lord, I pray that as we reflect on what Christ has done, his broken body and his blood shed, that we remember it is because of his faithfulness through the opposition, through temptation, through the distractions, because his faithfulness to go to the cross, to endure the shame for the joy set before him, to give us salvation that can only come from you. And so I pray that we celebrate that, that we relish that, and that we sit in this moment with the recognition of all that we sang, of your forgiveness, of your mercy, of your grace, of the fact that you have restored us back to a relationship to you and you've now called us to serve and to live for you. And so we pray all of that in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.